Hi, welcome to another episode of the Imaginally True Change podcast with Prashant Kowell. We're here again with Nita Baum in the fourth of a five-part series of the values of Be Free. And so in recent weeks, we have spoken about being free, being gifted, and being equal. And today we're going to bring our t- attention to being in power. And I'm just going to start by reading this text as power is articulated at Be Free and by Nita, and we'll go from there. We are in power through self-responsibility, self-leadership, and self-trust. Our power doesn't arise from making money. It arises and thrives in building relationships in which we both give and receive. I have 108 things that I could say right off the top of my head, but I'm going to turn it over to you to start for us, Nates. <laughs> I love the selection of that choice number. Um, <laughs> I actually took 108 breaths this morning as part of my morning meditation practice uh, three times in a row. So I like that number. Well, um, I bet you felt powerful afterwards. I did. I did feel in power and in presence, mm. for sure. Mm. Um, just to start always by saying thank you and expressing my deep gratitude to you, Prashant, for the opportunity to be in dialogue and conversation with you, not just because you're someone I admire and respect deeply professionally, but also because you've been just an instrumental part of my own path as a friend, a guide and a peer and a mentor and a source of inspiration. So thank you. And a student. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I joked just before we started the podcast that this particular value is a Prashant special. I associate the notions of self-responsibility, self-leadership, and self-trust a lot with you. They've come up a lot in many of our dialogues. And I will back up a little bit in the value to start with the idea of why in power? Many people ask, why is it in power versus empowered or some other form of the word? And I think today, a lot of the connotation of the notion of empowerment is and it's often used in this way where it's like someone's giving you power. Someone is empowering you. And part of the point of these presumptions, you know, for all of our values is that we come this way. We come in power. We can stand in that power. We can be in that power. We can operate from that space of being in power. So where does it come from or what promotes that word, sort of step one is, and this, there's kind of a two-part focus to this particular value, but step one is a focus on the self. If you think of power as coming from your center or your core, whatever you associate that with, the idea that it begins with responsibility for yourself. And I'll, I'll pause on responsibility for a second and just differentiate that from let's see, the notion of, uh, there's this idea of like, you know, are you responsible or are you like subject to the consequences of actions? And I like to think about 
to me, the shift that relates to power is one where the ways in which we navigate the experiences that we have is from a place of responsibility. Consequences to me sounds kind of close ended. It's like something happens and then there are these consequences and then I react. Responsibility implies respond, which is more proactive. And this ability to come from like a centered place where you pause, where you see things more expansively and then are able to behave and act in a way that is coordinated and centered. Um, so self-responsibility is, is, is one piece. I can pause there because that was a lot before I keep going. <laughs> wow. I feel like we're on to another juicy one today. Um, yeah, well, responsiveness is so crucial to having a true power in my estimation because it, it starts from an acceptance of what is. So something happens, there's an event outside, and I don't impose my judgment of what should be happening. I start by accepting, okay, this is where life is at this moment. This is what's happening with this long checkout line. This is what's happening at this red light. This is what's happening with my partner who's a little aggravated. This is what's happening with my coworker who seems confused. It, whatever the case may be, it's not like, oh boy, this is happening again. It's like, okay. And you stay centered. And you, instead of reactivity, as you mentioned, you choose what is the highest and best that I'm capable of in this moment that expresses who I would like to be coming from from my higher and deeper human values. And I'll just chime in with that responsiveness because I know this conversation is going to unfold a lot from here. Yeah. I mean, if we're to get into it <laughs> and go deep, which we might as well, because this is part four of a five-part series, might as well. Um, we are in deep. You know, you've often spoken passionately about the distinction between power and force. And I think there is a parallel there between responsiveness or responsibility, which is just a different way to conceive of, I think, responsibility versus mm -hmm. reaction, right? And there are, there are multiple components to that. Reaction tends to be, there's a, there's a time variable. So we react when a stimulus comes to us, we react quickly. And sometimes we're off-centered, which means we're not necessarily able to connect to our power. Um, and instead, to sort of fill that void, we resort to force, which is to say we try to go against or we move quickly or we fight as opposed to kind of see and then consider and move accordingly. And it's interesting, like you can flex, you can flex the capacity for responsibility, which is to say you can develop it. And so even though theoretically reactivity and responsibility, like reactivity seems fast and responsibility seems slow. That's not always the case, right? Like you can, as you flex and build that practice of responsibility, you then like have the opportunity over time to speed up 
your response, right? So I think there's also an element of disarming, again, to go to the sort of fight response or the fight reaction that we have. Like, it's really natural to want to throw our defenses up in the face of stimuli as opposed to want to be receptive, to flow with them, to dance with them. And I think when you make a practice of moving from reaction to response, that's also a capacity you're able to build and a shift you can make. I also want to say always, like, you know, it's funny when we speak in these dichotomies, like reactivity is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, when do you use that tool? When do you use it in service of something that's happening? So if a bus is coming at you, it's really helpful to be able to react and like your fear kicking in, right? In the most basic senses of survival, your fear kicking in might be supportive of you. On the flip side, you could also argue that when you kind of quicken your capacity for responsiveness, you could come from that place in response to a bus coming at you. So no clear lines. It's kind of gray, but I also make space for, I again, like to think about things along a spectrum and think about the application of them as tools. It's interesting. I feel like we're five words into the articulation of the value. <laughs> and I feel like we would just stay here on self-responsibility because it's so deep. Totally. Uh, and there are many more elements and angles of self-responsibility. And I think maybe we won't have the chance today to digest all of that. But But everything you just said totally resonates, I think. Reactivity runs really, really, really deep mm. in all of us. And there may be people who are more aware of that than others, but that's just how the human psyche works. And I think your reminder that it's it's really, you know, it's natural, it happens, we all have it, we all do it. But to bring it back to one of our buzzwords for this whole series, you know, like when you're talking about this flexing, I'm like even thinking of myself doing bicep curls <laughs> in the gym. It's absolutely a muscle. It's absolutely a practice. And it's something, it's a capacity that can be developed over time. So that's really good to, to be aware of. I think when it comes to force versus power, you illuminated some interesting elements of it. I'd also like to, to bring in other consideration, which is... Nita and I, for our audience, we often have little check-in conversations before our calls begin, and it will not be the last time that I wish that I started recording right from the beginning <laughs> of our check-in call, there's always interesting things that we talk about. And actually, the way we talk isn't that different than the way we talk on these podcasts. <laughs> so true. There might be some other elements that come in, but... But for example, Nito is talking about, about an invitation that she received recently to, to lead a breakout session at a conference. And I was pleased for her and I thought it was, I was great. And one of the things she mentioned is that she's not trying really hard. She's not efforting to make those situations happen. That's my interpretation. Those aren't necessarily her words, but, but it just, kind of happening naturally 
through the virtue of the the network that she's been building the the way in which she's doing it is gaining a lot of attention for good reason she the this big emphasis on co-creation and it's really really in tune with a major societal trend that's happening right now and a really exciting one that points to points to more and more people arriving in power and points to democratization, you know, people having a lot more choice in what they do. And so anyway, these, that's all to say that when, when you are in power, it's, it's rarely that you're in the struggle, that you're forcing things to happen, that you have to exert a lot of effort. Rather, there's a flow there and there's a naturalness and there's a harmonization that happens with your environment. And you may call it mystical or esoteric or what have you, but it's an observable phenomenon of nature that life supports that occurrence when you're coming from the best in you and you've shown your willingness to express that and draw that out in others and give generosity. It's an observable phenomenon of nature. And so that is power, that harmonization, that willingness for life to say, I see you are in service of the common good. I see that your work is affirming life. I see that your work is new paradigm. I see that your work is generative. And it, and it says, I see you and I raise you. And here's the next few steps to take. And the path unfolds from there. And that is coming from the center. And so for people that don't have reference of that yet, I suggest that the possibility is there. And I suggest having conversations and reading up and opening minds to different possibilities, and just considering, reflecting, meditating on whether that could, that beauty, that magic could be realized in your own life with a slightly different orientation. Because when that's happening, that is exciting as things can get when it's just like you feel supported by the universe. That to me is a huge expression of in realization of being mm. in power. Wow. That was so clearly and beautifully articulated. I loved it. So thank you. And, and of course you illuminated this different angle on if I sort of skip to the third part of the value, which is about, you know, our power rising and thriving in building relationships in which we both give and receive the, the kind of flow and alignment you spoke about, there's a way to understand that through the lens of the loop of giving and receiving, the circle of giving and receiving. You know, it's like we're so, one of the ways we abdicate our power as we abdicate all our value is just by believing we don't have any and not exercising it and not flexing it and not making it a practice. And I think some of the reasons we do that is you know, we can be oriented to the idea that we only need to receive. A typical example I use when it comes to this value is the idea of like going to a, you know, quote unquote networking event 
where you show up and you're going because somewhere in your mind, you feel like perhaps you're going there to generate some business and, you know, gain some visibility. You know, what's so interesting is when you're able to show up in that environment or really any environment with a consciousness that on the one hand, like, yeah, you totally deserve to receive, you know, and you have a contribution to make and that's awesome. And your nourishment is essential to your own well-being and the well-being of the collective. You also have something to offer and give. And I, I think I spoke about this in the last podcast, but it's like, we always have something we can give. It can be super, super simple. And to go to your point, Prashant, about the kind of notion of like what you suggest, I love the orientation of, you know, what do you suggest for people who don't feel like they have an experience of being in power? A really simple practice can be like show up in any space and offer something, whether, you know, it's your (laughs) literally your presence, which you can do in silence. And, you know, to listen to someone effectively is a very giving, it's very giving. I would love to comment there. Uh, That's perfect, Neith. Thank you for taking us there. We're seeing the connection to giftedness here at the moment. But even besides giftedness, what you're saying is something even deeper than that, which is just your being, just your presence can be an offering and the willingness to listen to an other. It's so often in the old paradigm that we're caught up that there's something we need to do. There's some way we need to earn others' approval. There's some way we have to try to show our value. Rather, power suggests that it can never be otherwise unless you abdicate it, as you just mentioned. It can never be otherwise. If you're coming from your center and it's just like, I am enough And let me just see what arises naturally. And I'm just here observing and responding. And maybe I don't even have to do anything. It's like you will notice your own power. You will notice how others respond to you. If you truly just step into that room that you're describing and come from a place of just thinking for the moment as an experiment I'm enough, just as I am. There's nothing to do here and see what happens. Yeah, so just uh, thinking about being in power from the perspective of the practice again. I love this practice orientation. So potential practice we could show up with to each day or a select moment as we choose is is. What if I show up in this moment as if I am everything I need to be and then some to meet the now, to meet exactly what is in front of me and before me right now? What if I start with that and go from there? And I think... I've tried this practice um, and like you, Prashant, you know, I encourage, uh, I encourage people to check it out if it resonates. Part of me doesn't want to say too much about it, but I, (laughs) but I will say it's, you know, I think it's really deeply, 
connected to a sense of self-trust, which you could think about as iterating with trust in the universe. You know, um, as I trust myself more, I'm able to kind of see the ripple effects and the, the that feeling of trust expand and resonate and ripple out beyond me to the way that I perceive and receive what's happening in my environment and my conditions. That to me is one of these really powerful sweet spots of being in power because that's where it, that feeling isn't just inside of you, you know, and limited to you and the discreteness of the boundary and the contours of your body as you feel it, but it actually, it connects you to a sense that the power is both within you and around you, beneath you, behind you, in front of you, above you, you know, by extension in and through your relationships. So, okay, this is really good. So power is connected to free here because you have to recognize that you have the ability to choose, even if you're starting with a grain, but there's enough freedom just to make that experiment. Then there's a chance to step into your power. And connecting this with self-trust is, is our power doesn't arise from making money. So often in our day-to-day lives, we have this practicality to deal with of making money. And nobody can deny that there's a great importance in modern life of your relationship to money and where you are in your finances and how well you're taking care of yourself on a material level. And at the same time, to what extent does that relationship to money sort of overcreep its natural placement in your life so that it actually feeds fear? The exact thing that keep us from trusting ourselves. We might not think of it this way, but I see this in myself and I know for sure I'm not alone because it feels to me to be a product of my cultural conditioning is we put money in first place without necessarily seeing it that way that we're like, okay, well, we got to take care of our lives. We, and we make so many of our decisions based on what keeps that part going, not trusting that if we challenge our current position, that if we challenge uh, our current circumstances and align more with trusting ourselves, aligning more with purpose, that we walk that path and all of that will take care of itself on some level. Of course, we have to make our best efforts, bring our best attention, do what's in our part to do. But as we come to something that feels very true to us, as we get more centered and as we come from that place of being enough, as we come from that place of purpose and being in power, then then life responds and money responds because money's a relationship like anything else. Money likes seeing us thrive. So it <laughs> react, it responds to that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just to say that I haven't mastered any of these things myself. You know, the, these are very, very difficult. And I feel like it's so connected to the transition from the old paradigm to the new paradigm. But we're all in this together 
And we need to support each other to realize like, this is how it works for each of us. This is really how it works. And so courage is part of the bargain. Moving past the way our fear is connected to money is part of the bargain. Brian, in my last episode, talked a lot about being practical and how you make that transition. It's all super, super doable. So my friends, find what it is that lives in your heart and make it happen. You know, that's what it's about. And, and power, power is not about egoic things. It has nothing to do with status. It may express itself through status. It may reflect in status. It may manifest in status, but it has nothing to do with that motivation. It's a consequence. So it starts from the heart. All right. I'm going to try to keep it focused on two things because there's a lot I would love to say in response to your beautiful and passionate reflection. The first one, I mean, you went exactly where uh, I was, you, you spoke about exactly what I was thinking about, which is to say the paradigm shift. So for one, I think we have had this history collectively of confounding money with power. And here's just a little radical take, uh, a little radical story I'm interested in exploring. So what if tomorrow, you know, and I hope this doesn't happen, but what if our financial systems collapsed? So I've been exploring that idea and kind of thinking like, don't we have what would actually need to change? And for one, what would our reaction be? But in in practicality, what would actually need to change? Don't we have the means of production, the human capacity, all the things that we've built, capacity for distribution, sharing, exchange? Like if we all literally just kept showing up to make our contribution, what difference would it make whether or not we had coins or pieces of paper that essentially are symbols of trade, right? What difference would it make whether those existed or not? Couldn't we keep exchanging the way that we do? And interestingly, might we do less work that isn't essential? Might we build in more time for existing and being together and being alone and taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other? Might we shift from overconsumption to a more balanced state? We, we would so have the opportunity to keep doing exactly what we are doing. A lot of it is just about a mindset shift. I think the actual reaction we'd have would be one of fear and panic. But I, I kind of put that, that counter narrative and opportunity to think about this from a sort of radical perspective out there to consider the possibilities. And the other piece of that, you know, which has been a persistent theme throughout our discussion on values is patience and comfort with discomfort. The idea that the only way out is through and that's an ongoing process, right? We, we go through, but the through, like the along the way is actually a very fruitful 
beautiful place to be. And so if we were in that moment of crisis, like what would we do? We have lots of examples of what we do in moments of crisis and we do call on our power. We do get very trusting of each other very quickly. We start trusting ourselves. It's like, you know, post 9-11, post this recent election, like we turn toward each other in, in our moments of crisis and we begin to have dialogue and conversation. We begin to assert our perspectives, right? That that's, that's certainly a potential byproduct. Um, and so, yeah, just a reminder that like, that crisis is such an opportunity to discover our own power anew, to see it anew, to see it from the lens of possibility. I love it. I love it. And it's what an interesting reflection to take on. What if the, the system collapses, the financial system collapses? And it, it leads me to reflect on the, the episode nine that I did with Victoria Castle, who wrote a book called Trance of Scarcity. Mm. And, and it's not, you know, neither of us is villainizing money. I love money. I think money's amazing. I'm glad I have it, you know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it's, it's not money. It's the mindset that we associate with it oftentimes and the mindset that comes from scarcity, which is why Victoria's book is so incredible. But she talks about how much our narratives are driving our lives and how much those narratives are not in service of our higher aims. And she talks about how can we have the, the more beautiful society that we long for if everybody's like a shrunken version of themselves, mm. you know? And so to step back and, and put money in its rightful place and trust yourself enough that you will create the financial resources you need if you go in the direction of the thing that's really calling for you in your heart or if you don't even know what that thing in your heart is trust that there's a deeper level of engagement with yourself that can be there that's beyond this sort of more uh superficial level of living life that's on the level of fleeting pleasures and and that sort of thing so so just how much this scarcity runs counter to our power and how much we willingly abdicate that, which brings us full circle back to self-responsibility and brings us full circle back to freedom, is making the choice that we need to make that's in service of the lives we want to live, of having a high-quality human experience while you're alive for 40 or 70 or 90 or 110 years on this planet. I think that's bringing us to a close, Needs. I mean, we can, as always, go for another three hours and we'd both be fascinated by it. Um, and and I'm, I'm, trusting, I'm trusting that this has value for others and that we're going to see the results of that over time because I feel like both of us, I'm going to just honestly say, you know, coming from truth, that I feel both of us are in our power in this conversation. So, and I'm willing to own that because that's part of being in power rather than giving away my power to a false modesty. Um, and, and I think that I, you know, I think I definitely have a lot to learn about humility and I, I own that as well. And I look forward to the unfolding of that journey as it already is unfolding because that's also a great part of being in power. But, but humility isn't denying where you're strong. 
Yeah. Can I, it, it, it's hard to end this conversation, but I, I want to pick up on, on two things that are really mm. important. So just the notion that when we deny our own power, you know, we also become less resourceful. Like we're incredibly resourceful and we need that resourcefulness. And just to echo what you said, we need money. You know, Be Free doesn't focus on sustainability to the exclusion of money. We include it in our curriculum and our focus because absolutely we need money to survive and it's also, but, but that's where I think we confound power with money. It's like, what do we need to thrive? At what point, right, does that shift from survival to thriving happen? And how much is money related to that? Uh, and some of this conversation is about when you're in your power, you find yourself thriving and you recognize the ways in which that is or isn't connected to money. I, I also want to say just, just as a sort of a placement, a, uh, a cognizance. It's a size issue. It's like the transaction matters. The exchange of money for goods or services, you know, it matters. And we talk about pricing and valuing yourself appropriately and valuing what you do according to the life cycle of where you are and your capacity and, you know, the space of your business. And so this is a conversation that's inclusive of money, but it's also about sizing money in the context of relationship like the transaction is inside of and smaller than the relationship not the other way around and when we don't we're not cognizant of the relative scale of those two things if it's just like about an exchange for money that's where we get scared and you know we we resort to force over power where we recognize we have something to both give and receive that goes beyond that transaction in the relationship it both becomes more satisfying ful fulfilling whole and you you get to see how much the transaction lives inside of but doesn't occupy the entirety of that space of your potential relationship with someone that's the paradigm shift we're interested in absolutely people first is one way to also mm -hmm. say some of that through the lens of relationship and i would say if you are interested in discovering more of your power, a good question to ask yourself is, what matters to me? And go in that direction. Because money is, you know, as we've said so many ways, and, and money, it's great that it comes up so strongly in this episode, Nita. I, I feel like part of the systemic agenda that we're both connected to and very interested in has a lot to do with the relationship of money and societal relationship to money. So it's great, but let that be a product of a greater, higher purpose and your fulfillment for sure will be deeper. It's a promise that you can hold me to until my dying day. You can write it on my gravestone, <laughs> except I'm going to get cremated. Um, <laughs> All right, my friends. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Nita and I love you for listening. We want to be your best friends. And, um, and we're having a joy here. Thank you. Stay tuned. We have one more week of this. And I have a feeling it's not the last time you're going to hear from me and Nita. But, uh, but please go out there and do your thing. Do your thing. Thank you for listening. All the best. Namaste. Thanks.